Thanks for joining us today on the Impact Podcast as we conclude our conversation with Pastor Curtis Parker. Jesus commands believers to be salt and light in every aspect of their lives. Today, Senior Pastor Dean Hunter concludes this conversation with Pastor Curtis Parker, who has and is making an impact for the cause of Christ. So you're here, of course, we know now 38 years you were there or here since we're sitting here. Um, Once again, this for, for my benefit, for any other pastor that may be listening, I think Quite honestly, one of the one of the biggest failures of many young pastors, and I like to consider myself still young, but um, is not listening to the wisdom and discernment of a, an older generation, mm-hmm. because things have changed so much. Yeah. Church has changed so much, um, but the fundamentals of the church remain the same if they're Amen. biblical. Amen. And I feel like in our new ways, and you know, everybody. Every pastor has a right to lead the church however they sure. will. But I feel like personally, a lot of young, the younger generation of pastors have completely dismissed everything that an older generation did. Yeah. Even sometimes willfully neglecting to learn from what they did. Right. Um, words of advice, obviously. You know, the face of the church changes, types of churches change, worship style changes, but your bottom line, the common denominator is people. You're always right. with people. You're always right. ministering to people. Right. You work with a leadership team. It's people. It's a yeah. deacon board. It's people. It's choir director. It's right. people. Um, some, of the, some of the things you learned making that transition, that was obviously a transition. You've now transitioned from your first church ever to a church three to four sizes times the size um, you've only got one staff person. You're wanting to move in a different direction. What are some insights and, and kind of discernment to a younger generation of pastors when dealing with people, dealing with those yeah. changes that you would share with them? I would say to them to, to do just, and not that I was perfect, but to do what I did, lean on people that knew more than I did. And, uh, and I've had to do that all my ministry because I had no formal education. And I, I always felt terrible about that. If I could go back, Dean, and do some things over, I think I missed it when, uh, when I came from Fruitland and went back to the pastorate. And, of course, I'd never left the pastorate, but, I mean, they went back there full time. And I think I should have kept going with my education. And if, if I could go back, and do it all over again, I would pursue a stronger educational background because I was limited all my ministry with some things I wanted to do. Uh, I'll give you a good illustration. I I didn't know what God was going to do with me other than preach. Because of my background, my perception of being a pastor was a little small church with 50 people, go to church on Sunday morning, go to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night, no YouTube programs, no, no fancy music, no nothing. Just go to church. That was, that was my perception of being a pastor because that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but to tell a, a young preacher today, so many more people are educated. I was limited and, and that's why I resigned this church. And, and I'm, I'm being honest with you, there was no pressure 
to leave. You know that. Uh, I, there was pressure on me as far as me needing to make a decision. It was when to do it. But we had outgrew my capabilities, and, and I know that. And, of course, you said in five years old, you, you're outgrowing your strength, too, right. almost. So that was an issue. But my, my biggest problem, I didn't know what to do next. And I'm being honest. I was, I was to that point that I had noticed our church had stopped dropping. had started dropping off some. I had noticed the enthusiasm was not maybe what it used to be. And I didn't know where to get it back and I didn't know how to get it going again. And so I knew it was time for me to do that. I would say to young preachers, don't feel like you know it all. I don't care how many degrees you got. Lean on God. Lean on the Holy Spirit. Lean on somebody that's been down the road right. that knows more than you know. Right. I sat with John Hass, who was a former pastor. I had great confidence in him. And one time I got sick, and I was out for eight weeks. I called John Hess, him a former pastor. You just don't do that. Yeah. I called John Hess, said, John, I want you to come fill my pulpit. I know you can do it and bother the church. For eight weeks, he filled this pulpit. The church never missed a beat till I could get back. And I did that because I knew him, and I knew he knew more than I did. Right. And I'd never been out of him a church for with sickness and these young preachers today and I and I say this honestly if they've got a degree a lot of them and God help me I don't mean to be critical ugly but I run into them all the time and they're full of excitement and and I was too when God called me but they're so full of excitement they don't they forget to get wisdom from God and some of them make changes too quick and once you've made it you've made it yeah. And there's no way to go back and undo it. Yeah. And I made some of those in my lifetime, too. But I would say to those young preachers, be careful. Be careful with your decisions. Yeah. Tap into these people that know more. That's what I would say yeah. to them. I think it's safe to say a lot of today's culture and the church has become more of a, be careful how I say it, more of a business and an organization, and oh, there's yeah. a lot of yeah. competition between pastors and churches oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And which prevents pastors from reaching out to other pastors. Sure. Um, I mean, I've been doing this long enough to know to know now a lot of us have the same personality types, <laughs> a lot of the same flaws, and it's easy to fall into that. You know, yeah. what about their church? What am I doing? What are they doing? Um, so I think it's it's detrimental to a lot of churches and a lot of young pastors not just 20 and 30 year old pastors, but 40 and 50 year old yeah. young pastors who don't have anybody to reach out to. Yeah. Um, maybe they have pressure to be so different from the church the way it used to be yeah. that they don't even want to hear from the, the people who used to do it that way right. and, and miss a ton of um, education from wisdom. I, I know we've talked about this a lot. You consistently say one of your biggest regrets is education, but I think it's fair to say, um, being submissive to God, you were very successful. I mean, anybody that's had a church for 38 years did something right. Obviously, you can ask and people will say, well, you did something wrong. But when the when the average pastor stand at a Baptist church, you know, two and a half to three years, if you stay 38 years, you did something yeah. right and have a lot of wisdom and education that you can't pay for or get a degree. True. Um, we've all made the statement, you know, 
I went to school six years. I have three degrees, but they didn't teach me anything I could learn in the first month of being, right, being a pastor. Right. And so um, certainly that's an encouragement to other pastors to to lay aside the the personalities, lay aside the competition and glean from those who've done it before. Yeah. And um, you've certainly been an inspiration to me. Um, and we were able to work together for a long time. So you knew where I was at Amen. on some things and you knew where I knew where you were at. And there were times you let me know quickly. Well, that's how I feel. That's it. And, um, but the amount of resources that we have that I think pastors aren't using um, with people. So thinking about our church, one of the things I wanted you to be able to, to share is uh, some successes and failures. Obviously, we're spiritual enough to know we're not talking about personal, that it was all right. you. But 38 years here, a lot was done. Um, a lot of people saved. You talked about a former pastor, but obviously, if you were here for nearly four decades, you know many people who were saved here, yeah. who were called to ministry here, who were who you married and you see their families grow up right. and things. So maybe if you just want to share some some of your successes, things that you look back on and think, you know, these were highlights of my pastorate um, here or other churches. And then as honest as you want to be about failures, things you wish you would have done differently or you learned from that would have would be a help to somebody else. Right. Well, I want to say this before I get into that, and that is that you said something a while ago that that really uh, that I needed to to say amen to that and back it up and say it again, and that is don't leave God's plan in the Bible for the church. Stay with it. And and you made that comment a while ago. A lot of churches are, are leaving, trying programs, doing this, doing that. But the Word of God doesn't change. Right. And big people change, but the Word of God doesn't change. Now, to get to my ministry here and, and the positive things of it uh, was seeing God work and put me in a place that was my style of worship. Uh, you know, my style wouldn't go over everywhere. You know that. You know how I preach. You know how uh, sometimes I'm humorous and stuff. And it wouldn't go over everywhere. But uh, here, these people, they let me preach even when they didn't like it, and maybe even when it wasn't totally right sometimes, they let me preach. They let the pastor be the pastor. Right. And that a church can't grow. A church can't move forward without a church understanding that pastor is the under-shepherd and the leader of that church. And that was one thing that I have done in my pastorate is build those churches with that kind of understanding. Uh, the deacons don't run the church. Nobody else runs the church. God runs the church, and the under-shepherd is his supervisor, his overseer, and he's the man that leads that church. He's the man that has to be accepted that way. And I don't know if it was my personality, but when I came here, I was able to build a relationship with deaconship that understood me and understood my philosophy. The finance committee, uh, I'd never had a finance committee. That was probably maybe one of the toughest things that I had to work with because they, they were pretty much set and what they were going to do regardless of leadership or whatever. 
And so eventually I prayed and prayed and prayed about what to do, and God helped me to see I needed to establish a personnel committee because the counting money and watching over the money and the, what came into the church, that was one thing. But dealing with the staff and the pastor and other was a different thing, and we needed a different committee, and God led me that way. And when we got that committee, then things really began to change financially, for the even in a greater way. Right. So that was one of the things that that I know had to happen. And another thing that God uh, was our music transition. You know, uh, to move. Not that there's anything wrong with the old camp meeting music. I love it. I mean, it, it, and I still like to hear it. But I wanted to do something different, and and. The people had changed. We had music people. We had people that could do better than that. And so when we made the transition with the music, that was another positive thing because of, uh, quickly we started drawing music talent because we had music capabilities. And uh, that was one thing. And then the success of being able to lead the building program and to move from one location to another. And I'd always heard... Well, if you move, you're going to lose half your people. We didn't lose a member. Not one member did we lose and stay in that church where we left. And we sold it to a Baptist church, and we didn't lose a member. So that was a very successful thing. And, of course, the financial part, paying it off in seven years and starting another one and paying it off in seven years with the people, leading the people with the bond program. I didn't know what a bond program was, but God led us to do that, and it worked. And so those are some of the successes things. Now, I don't like to talk about these other things, no. but when I look back, if I could go back and change some things, I think that I would be, I hope I would be more understanding with staff. And I say that honestly. I, you know me. You know how I was. And Sometimes you have to be firm. But I think that you need to be willing to listen to your people. And I'm not sure I was that way for a long time. And uh, I don't know why, but that's the way. That was my personality. I think it was, it all came from a background of working with J.P. Stevens in management, going to leadership training seminars, and, of course, what they tell you to do, get the job done, production, get it done, you know, make the decision. I've never been afraid to make a decision, but I've made some that were bad that I wish I hadn't have made. And not listening to my people would be one thing. Uh, not doing more uh, as far as training people. Uh, I think of something now. And, and this happened uh, some time ago. It, it, we, we should have started even maybe a music, some kind of music program or scholarships or something in our church because uh, you're going to have people to leave you. I mean, I've had them to leave me, and you make a decision sometime, people get offended, they take off. And I think if you have a, a, some type of a seminar, or bring music in. Some of you young girls, some of you young guys, 
might have a desire to play a piano, might have a desire to play, or he might have a desire one day be a, a music leader or whatever. Give them some training in that area. But that was one of the areas I felt that I failed was in having more training for particular areas that the church was going to need from now on. Right. The farm program. Yeah, a farm <laughs> program, yeah. Um, a round, well-rounded program. Right, right. Yeah. So you made a couple comments earlier, and you've said this word a few times, and I remember being in college, being in seminary, and, and hearing a statement that the church takes on the personality of the pastor. Right. Uh, and you said something about your personality several times. And from from my perspective, I think that was – exactly what happened at Central Baptist Church. Um, you have a perspective that no one else has because you saw the transition. You saw the new town, new people, didn't right. know anybody, um, and they accepted you. I'm not sure when that personality of the church takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it over 38 years, who knows when it did, but when many churches are getting rid of pastors by three <laughs> years, they don't have time to take over their personality. But um, I can say, and, and this is once again a testament to you, and I say this often. I mean, I've been pastor now five years. It's hard to believe that. Um, I have benefited from a, a church personality that you created because they followed, they adapted to your personality. Um, what some of the things I say often is, and you still know our church. You still know the people. I mean, there's a lot of new people, but you still know the church. This is a giving church. Oh, they yeah. took on the personality of their pastor. He taught giving, not just tithes, but right. giving to yeah. people. Amen. I mean, we, I can come in Sunday and say, if we've got three families. I did this a year ago. I said, we got three families. I know need help. They trusted me. We took up like $15,000 in two weeks. Yeah. Um, I inherited a giving church because right. of the personality of the previous pastor. Caring. We say that, and you think, well, that's obviously a – that ought to be a characteristic of a church is they care. Amen. But not all, not every church is that way. And so our church has a an identity of – and I tell visitors, I tell people that are new members or new members' classes, you might have bad experience with church, but when I say this church cares, they really do. People really do care. I don't know of a church anywhere no. that cares like this church. Um, they cared for me and my family. and let me, let me just say that right here. I am able to live a decent life today and drive a decent automobile, me and my wife, and dress like I want to and have a home that's paid for because this church gave and took care of right. me as a pastor. Right. Yeah. And if they don't do you that way, I'm going to come <laughs> over here and preach. Well, you had your chance a couple weeks ago, so – no, they, it still carries on, and, and I say that just because that is a, it's a reality. Not every reality we learn in school or college really trans, translates, but that was one. A church will take on the, the personality of the sure. pastor, which is also very hum, it's humbling, yeah. and it's uh, a lot of pressure. Like, yes. which, which part of my personality are they going to take on? Um, the other thing, and I say this, and it's just making a note, is you said this earlier, they, they allowed you to preach. Um, I didn't learn to preach in college and seminary. 
I learned to preach watching Curtis Parker for 30 years and any other pastor that I watched. Um, that was my homiletics. That was my how to teach, how to preach. And that's carried over. They allow me to preach um, because you set the stage for that. And I, I, I joke often, we've, you've made, you made reference to uh, this area and even the church in general, there's a lot of people moving to this area. I just heard a podcast this morning about how North Carolina is called the halfback state because people travel to halfway, don't make it to Florida. They go to Florida and don't like it and travel halfway back. And uh, so we have a lot of people coming to our church that are not from here. And I'm kind of shocked and humbled, like, why do they want to be here? Did this, you know, I refer to myself as a redneck preacher. but um, And overwhelmingly what people are saying is, well, the, the truth's preached here. Yes, it. And the challenge that I guess the – not just the challenge, but the temptation today is to move away from solid Bible preaching – because you're worried. Yeah. A pastor's worried. Yeah. And I say all that, and I know you know it, but as an appreciation to you set the stage for that. You you preached hard. Like you said, you might have been wrong sometime, but, <laughs> but you preach hard, and they have allowed the Bible to be preached, right. the authority of the pastor, right. and um, that's because of you. That's because of the what the church personality you establish here. And I would be a fool if I didn't say I inherited a lot of the good that our church is. Unfortunately, a lot of other pastors can't say that. So um, I guess I'm saying it to encourage you, but also to say um, churches do take on the the leadership. They take on their personalities and what a burden that is, uh, what a pressure that is uh, for pastors to do the same. Well, Dean, you mentioned, uh, you know, about people coming in. I believe, uh, and we may get to this some other time, but I believe that that people understand, looking around, that 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 we're living in that latter time. And I think that there's a there's a, a good number of people, not majority, but there's a good number of people that have a hunger for the truth. And when we have preachers that are not afraid to preach the truth, it's amazing how many people will honor you and will love it. And I have, I can honestly say in every church I've pastored, even this little place I'm trying to help now, they've let me preach because I preach the truth. You can't argue with the truth. You can, but you'll get nowhere. Right. If you preach the truth, it will build your people. It will build your people. Oh, that's that's what I'm trusting in because <laughs> I don't want to build it on me for sure. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think I, we're seeing that, um, especially geographically in America, where people are either realizing we're in the last days or um, the church who knew, already knew the truth, maybe it's being reaffirmed. You know, yeah. What we've been hearing for 50 years is really happening. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, a new hunger I don't think the revivals and the revitalizations will be as big personally as they used to be. Right. But I think that remnant who is there, it's a, it's a slimmer group of people, but they're more dedicated. And I think that's what we're seeing in churches today. So you're not seeing this, you know, the churches that are having 200 new members a year, predominantly it's not because somebody's preaching the truth. No. Um, But the churches who are 
growing spiritually, doing more evangelistically, discipleship, they're the ones who have slimmed and trimmed, so to speak, yeah. because the truth has been preached. Right. They've ran off the ones who don't want to hear it. That's exactly right. And That's the ones right. that want to have bought into it. Yeah. And um, it's it's a it's a interesting dynamic because it's not really certainly not the 21st century church growth model. Right. Um, and a matter of fact, you might be growing by declining in some in some instances, growing spiritually, but you're declining numerically a lot of times, and that's hard for a pastor to to deal with. Yeah, it is. And and but don't be afraid to preach. That's that's that would be something that I would say to every young pastor. And you like you said, they get afraid to death. They lose their job. They do this and do that, and they ought not to waste a lot of time. And, you know, just fooling around. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Right. Make your decisions. Move on. Yeah. Right. That's, um, like we say, easy preaching, hard living sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Well, as we kind of wind down, I definitely want to get to the place to where we talk about what's going on now and kind of some insight on from you on what you see happening um, in the church, uh, in, the, in our country, in the world. Um words of advice, words of wisdom from uh, nearly 80 years old next month, right? 80 years, you'll be 80 in June. About two weeks. Yeah. Um, like words of encouragement to the church, what you see. Uh, but we all have opinions, but um, definitely hearing from someone who's been at, on the front lines in ministry. Um, but before we get to that uh, – I think I would be remiss if we didn't have the opportunity to talk about um, some of the the lows, not just in ministry, but lows in life. Um, I think, to put it in perspective, I think one of the most difficult topics to preach, to teach in church is, for example, some of the things we see happening in society. Crime rates out of control. Murder rates out of control. Um, don't even want to get into the social right. whims, the the LGBTQ movements, the anti-marriage, anti-abortion, all of those things that are just devastating to our families. Right. Um, but people deal with adversity even in the church. I find myself I find myself saying this often, and I just did a couple weeks ago to the church. One of the biggest misconceptions is that Christians. Um, don't have adversity. Right. Unfortunately, some well-known preachers preach. You know, if well, if you live this way, you know, oh. God's gonna. Yeah. It's the health and wealth. But the reality is, even Christians struggle. We are all faced with the the problem of sin, death that came from sin, sickness that came from sin, and in your life as a pastor, as a dad, as a grandfather, you've experienced the tragedies. You've experienced obviously grief. Um, emotional, even just from the nature of the the pastorate, but even as just a, a dad and a grandfather. And so I know a lot that you've been through, and and maybe you want to just kind of talk about that, maybe as, as a help, and say as much as you want to say, but as a help for how you deal with adversity, even as a Christian. You know, we're still going to have it, but how how do you get through it? Well, to be honest with you, it it's uh... – it's a very difficult situation, and it, it can be many different areas. Uh, 
I'll give you one right quick. In my first church, I knew God had put me at cash. I preached for many weeks, no kind of movement, no kind of movement at all. And I had at that point no formal education, no nothing, just a pastor that would help me. And I began to question, well, God, if you put me here, what's what, what, something not going on? And I never will forget, God reminded me that he was God. And I went home that day, and I crawled up in the bed, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I crossed my legs sitting in my bed, and I prayed. I said, God, if you don't do something tonight, I'm going to resign the church. And, uh, and that, that sounds bold, but that's exactly what I did. And when I got through praying, I felt better. I really felt like I'd really let God have it, but I, I, I felt better. And I opened up my Bible, a little book by the name of Herschel Ford, Simple Sermons, and some preachers are still preaching them. And they're good. But there was one in there, and if I were you, this is what I'd do. And I went to church that night and preached every point of his sermon. And when I gave the invitation to Alder Field, and God reminded me again that he was a sovereign God and he was in control. In times of adversity, we have to remember who God is. We're not out there by ourselves. He's with us. And when I look back over my life, and, and, and there have been many times of disappointment. Uh, another illustration, you're talking about a low. When we were building these buildings, we did that bond program. I don't know if you remember this or not. I do. But when we, we did that bond program, you have to do a prospectus, and that's the legal binding of everything that you're doing with the money, that you, how you're going to raise it, what you're going to do. And we were going to sell the other building in the fellowship hall for such and such a man, I can't remember. A church said you were going to buy it. Uh, it had told us, we, so we moved forward to do that. And the day we kicked our bond program off, the very day we kicked it off, the pastor of that church called me and said, we're not going to be able to take that church. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was, I was scared. I was afraid. I thought, where did I mess up? And I looked back, and I could have done something different. But I just went, and I just broke down. And I went down and started praying, and my wife came down and prayed with me, and I was just, I was all to pieces. I didn't know what to do. And the next day, uh, I decided it was on a Tuesday when that happened. I think it was. Anyway, long in there about that time. It was a prayer meeting, and I called off prayer meeting and had a deacon meeting. Told them they could sing or do whatever, but I had to meet with the deacon to find that committee. So we went into the basement of the old church, and I, I, I said, boys, I said, I hate to tell you what I got to tell you, but I got to tell you, I can't carry this load no longer by myself. I got to tell you, you tell me what to do. And I knew what I felt like we needed to do. But I wanted them to, to know. So we went around the room. And told, I had told every one of them what, at one time what was doing. And I said, I want to know how you feel about it. Every one of those deacons said, Preacher, if we don't go forward, we're going to wave a flag in the devil's face and he's going to have a time. We need to go forward. I said, that's all I need to hear. If you're with me, we're going forward. 
And uh, the next day, I had two churches that called me wanting to buy the church. So I called the guy back. I said, if you want this church, you better bring me $50,000 today. He said, I can't get it there today, but I'll get it there tomorrow. I said, if you, because he had called me back then and said he was going to. This may sound confusing, but he came the next day with the 50000 We went forward. God reminded me he was sovereign God. And we was able to go into the building. But I want to tell you, I wept and wept and wept. You told my low. It was a tough time. Mm-hmm. Other times, uh, situations where my family, losing my mother eight years after I came up here, uh, which was one thing I was fearful of. Uh, my dad was in pretty good health. He lived a long time, 90, until he was 93. But it was a tough time when I had to get my mother up. She was my... She was my giant as far as my spiritual life i mean she i saw her go through more than any mother would have to go through and uh but she never one time quit on god she kept teaching her sunday school class she kept going kept making me go to church kept doing those Mm -hmm. things and but it was a low time but when we had her funeral i know i one regret i have is i didn't preach my mother's funeral if i could have I could go back, I'd do it, but I didn't do it, and I've regretted it. I preached my dad's, but that was a low time. And then I thought that was pretty tough, you know. I'd been preaching a few funerals. But then my daughter, and uh, having to give her up at the age of 52 and seeing her suffer for three years, almost four years with, with, with the blood clots, and her husband already on disability was, you know, and us having to keep them going financially. And, and it hadn't been for Central. I don't know what we would have done. Because Central not only kept us going, they kept them going. Man, I don't know if you know this, but this church, during some of the lowest times of my life, seemed like they could sense and they just stood tall. And when my daughter and her husband were building their house, he had his first heart attack and quickly got worse and worse and worse. They had to get another place to live. They couldn't find, They couldn't pay the finances on it. They were going to lose everything they'd put in that house. And some men in this church, I don't know who they were, they, they said, we don't want you to know, but some men in this church got together without ever coming to the church and raised money among themselves to pay the down payment on that house, to pay the first 12 years' payments, and to buy the insurance on that house. Now, there are not many people in this church ever know that. Mm-hmm. But it was it, it was a low time in my, in my wife's life because, I mean, you're a mother and a father, and she's daughter, and, you know, her health is bad, and his health is bad, and uh, you're just going through a tough time because it's your child, and then she dies. And I was able to rejoice because she said to me, Daddy, I'm a born-again Christian. I don't want to be this way. Every day I asked the Lord to come get me. Mm. And so when the Lord came and got her, I remembered that. And God gave me grace through that. And didn't make it without heartache. Didn't make it without any, I can't say I didn't get depressed because I did. But then the granddaughter. And Dean, that was, that was, I think that's worse than anything that I've been through in my life. 
because it was on a Wednesday afternoon. I was getting ready for prayer meeting, getting ready to leave the church, getting ready to leave, go to church. My phone rings, and it's my baby, and she says, Daddy, Heather's had a wreck. We know it's bad. We don't know how bad. Pray, Daddy, pray. And she hung the phone up. 30 minutes later, she called and said, Daddy, she didn't make it. She's four hours from me. I'm way up here. She's way down there. My daughter needs me, and I need somebody right. because of my granddaughter. And my wife is broken because just about three or four weeks prior to that, she called one day and said, Papa, I want to come see you. I said, I just feel like I need to come see you. She drove up here for the only time in her life by herself. Stayed four or five days with her, sat in my lap like a child, loved on me, and that was the last time I ever got to see her. Mm. And uh, I can hear her today. But it was it was tough because she was so far away. Her mother was far away. Chad was so broken. Uh, Harley was all to pieces, you know, the other granddaughter. And... It was just so hard because of the distance and everything. And God reminded me again that he was sovereign. And I was able to say some things at her funeral because she was a born-again Christian. And since then, we've been encouraged because numerous letters have come telling what an impact she had made on their life. One young man that she had been witnessing to and witnessing to and witnessing to he was raised Catholic, I believe it was. And he didn't get saved while she was alive, but when she died, he accepted Christ as his mm-hmm. Savior. And those things have encouraged and left us, but God always comes through. Yeah. But you're going to have them. Right. And if it were not for God, it would be tough to stay in the ministry. The scripture, the knowledge of the word, the presence of the Holy Spirit is how I've made it thus far. Studying his word, knowing how to make a decision, trying to do it biblically, having the contentment of knowing I did what God said do. Uh, He's a wonderful Lord. I enjoy living for him every day. More so now than I ever have. I guess because I'm getting old and I look back and see so much time I wasted. and Boy, every day now. Someone asked me the other week, said, how long are you going to preach? I said, till I die. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know which spot. But I hope I can preach till I die. Right. I hope I can live for him yeah. with all my heart. That's my desire. Yeah, And that's certainly an encouragement to all of us. Um, to know the passion still there to preach and to, to be faithful to his word. You said a couple things there that I try to communicate, and I think all of us, especially pastors, try to communicate with families who obviously that was catastrophic to your family. Um, several, especially uh, the granddaughter, and the question consistently since the history of time has been, why would God why did God allow this? Why would God, if he's loving? And and the, it's an easy answer to say. It's just hard to 
to grasp. Right. But the, but back to what you said, either scripture is true or it's not. Right. And God is either sovereign or yeah. he's not. Um, I've been teaching Romans on Wednesday night. Um, God is righteous. That means he. Amen. That means he is right, and everything he does is right. Right. It's either true or it's not. And so, uh, I would like to think, and I, I've said this to my church. I've said it publicly. I see people go through sometimes, like what you've mentioned. Think about Chad and Becky, and I was at that funeral. I saw the parents worshiping. Yeah. And um, I would only pray and dream that if that type of tragedy happened to me, I would be able to do that too. And the only way is a knowing and believing that God is sovereign amen, and that he makes no mistakes. And maybe even more important knowing that that person's born again. Amen. Um, I say that consistently. I know you preach that. I've said it for years now. There's no greater gift than letting your family know you're born again. Amen. Because the day's going to happen, and they're going to be sitting there, and the only peace they're going to have is knowing they're at peace with God. One day alone. Yeah. And so um, certainly good words of wisdom for all of us to trust and rest in God's sovereignty, rest in his righteousness, that even though we didn't make any sense to us, his ways are perfect. Amen. And um, I know you and your family have been through a lot, and the I, I've, you've heard me probably say that the Hall of Faith chapter in, in Hebrews chapter um, 11 and then going on into 12 is I think we're, I think if we're honest, there's, there's a there's a Hall of Faith here for people who have been through and by faith, you know, we can look at moms and dads and grandparents sure. and say, hey, because they made it, I can make it. And I think that's exactly what scripture says. And, and you're an example of that. Um, last words. Uh, I've enjoyed our time together. We've been can, going can, for, can I say one more thing? Yeah. You were talking about preaching in Romans, and, and boy, that's a you're in a good <laughs> spot. But I'm in I'm in First Peter, and last night we were dealing with chapter four. Now we're talking about suffering, mm-hmm. adversity, things like that. And Peter in chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen, he's talking about suffering, but it's not the kind of suffering that we talk about today. It's a suffering that very few of us know much about, and that's suffering because we love Jesus. Right. And I look out across this society today, and the way things are going politically and without getting into a lot of that, if there's not some changes, we need to be preparing ourselves for the type of suffering that Peter was preaching to those people about. Because he said, you're already going through that suffering under the Emperor Nero but it's going to get worse. Right. It's going to get worse. And, and that's where we are. We're beginning to see so many people that are opposed to what we have never heard before in our life. In my boyhood time, you would have never heard some of the stuff you hear today. But we need to be preparing our churches and our people, not, not just for shouting times, but for do we have enough? Do we, are we committed enough? Do we believe enough to handle those times when we've done nothing wrong right. and done it right? right. Exactly. Amen. And that's kind of how I wanted to conclude some of the, the things I wanted to give you a chance to comment on. Or What do you see happening um, in the local church, in our state, 
Uh, I know people are scared to talk about politics. Obviously, I'm not. I think um, that's pretty clear that I think we ought to be salt and light in every aspect Amen. of our life. But uh, not just politically, but some of the things you're talking about. What do you see, maybe trends in the church today that are dangerous, good things, the good and bad of what's happening, and, and just some insight to to church leaders now as to what we should be doing? I think what's happening in a lot of our churches today is they've, they're, they're leaving the Word of God. It's not important to churches as much as it used to be. Uh, they'd rather have a singing than hear the message, and I hope that makes sense. But because the message cuts like a two-edged sword, when a man stands up and preaches truth, it's going to upset some people. Sooner or later, it's upset people because we don't live perfect life. But in our churches, a lot of our churches are moving more toward entertainment centers, uh, social organizations. Uh, sure, we ought, to, we ought to take care of our people. The Bible said, especially the household of faith. But when I look at churches today, there's the commitments are not there. The sincerity is not there. Uh, you know, this is God's house. We're God's people. We don't come to worship anybody but him. And today, we got so many pastors or leaders that are far more interested in them getting the glory rather than mm. God himself. They're selfish. Right. I hate to say that, but selfish. And, and we all like to be noticed. We all like to pat on the back. And I'm not saying all of that's wrong. I think we ought to be loved. I think we ought to be encouraged. But nobody is bigger than God. And what we're doing is when we leave and start spending less time in preparing our people through the truth of the word, then it's just a matter of time that we are, and what we're doing is reaping what we are, what has been sown. And it will continue to do that. And that's what's so frightening today. When we see our churches leaving the book, becoming entertainment centers, playhouses rather than a worship house, then we wind up with leadership that this killing our kids, mm. giving them no substance to base their life upon. Right. That's yeah. part of what I see. Yeah, and I think that's what I would expect you to say. <laughs> um, there's so much to talk about there, and, and my plan is to have some of our leaders who are making those decisions on the podcast to Christian leaders who are in, in position to, to make some of those decisions that affect our children, affect our 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 families, and um, I know we, you would agree it starts at the home. Amen. But the church has to be a help to the home. Amen. And um, teaching the truth because they're not, get, they're not getting it anywhere else. Right. And so um, I, I think it's, I think what you said about your studies in, in First Peter kind of went right into that. That's, are we prepared? Yeah. Are we prepared for the type of, Nobody likes to say it, but are we prepared for the type of persecution that is inevitable yeah. in America if you stay strong and persevere in the faith? And um, I think there's only one one remedy for it, and that's to to teach the Word of God, yeah. truth, and um, to not waver on it. Yeah. And with that said, it goes without saying you've you've been an example of that in my life. Um, no doubt there'll be hundreds of people who listen to this and um, well, amen a lot of what you said, but we'll be able to say 
that you've been an impact in their life. You've made an impact in their life. And many who you are still making an impact. And for me personally, I know this is a little different because I've known you pretty much all my life. I respected you all my life. Seen a lot, know a lot, a lot of, a lot of closed door conversations right, that have happened right. in the past that, that maybe I didn't like at the time, but I took it, couldn't forget it, applied it. Um, and so I guess on behalf of not just me, but our church and so many people that you've made an impact on, thank you for making an impact. You've been in, um, in my new hall of faith chapter one day, you'll, you'll be there, um, with some other people. And, and I know you have that kind of idea too, of some people and, so since this is the impact podcast, it's worthwhile saying you've to say, thank you. Uh, I love you. You know, that people at this church still love you. And, uh, you've made a, you've made quite an impact on a lot of people's lives. So certainly appreciate your time and uh, we'll do this again. Thank you. Thanks. Have for, enjoyed thanks for being, yes, sir. Thank you for listening today. Central Baptist church in Kannapolis, North Carolina is making an impact for the cause of Christ. Come. Worship with us. Visit our website at cbccanapolis.com for more information about our ministries impacting our families and community.